This is The Takeaway. I'm John Hockenberry. Thanks so much for listening. And this week, we launch our series, Zip Code Decode, how where you live matters to your health. We'll be examining health at the local level with the help of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's County Health Rankings and the American Communities Project. The question we're looking to answer, how do the practices, habits, resources, and quality of life in your community contribute to your individual health? Conversely, what are the health problems that might be unique to your community and how are local institutions dealing with those? Today, we visit the healthy living, no smoking, no drinking Mormon customs of Salt Lake City, Utah. Coffee and tea are discouraged in this Mormon majority community and state. But it turns out that Utah has one of the highest rates of death from prescription drug overdoses. How then do you explain the high rates of overdose? Reporter Andrea Smarden from KUER Radio in Salt Lake City shows us how a family that outwardly seems to reflect community health norms has found itself trapped by a drug problem hidden by the fact that these highly addictive drugs came into the home as doctor-provided medicine. Mindy Vincent is a therapist at a drug recovery center in Salt Lake City. She's seen her share of death from overdoses, but she never thought it would happen to her sister. After clearing her colleagues and clients out of her office, Mindy lets herself think about what happened on August 24th last year. My mom called. and She was just hysterical. And she just started screaming, your sister's dead, your sister's dead. And I told her, what are you talking about? My sister's not dead. But then I, right when I heard that she had passed, like I, I knew what had killed her. I knew that she had died from prescription medications. Mindy says her sister had a problem with pain meds for years. She had become increasingly intoxicated in the last few weeks before she took a lethal mix one night and never woke up. When people think about drug addicts, they think about somebody out on the street shooting heroin in an alley, whatever. And that's not my sister. My sister was in many ways, a better person than I'll ever be. She was honorable and she was loving and she was Christ-like. And it shouldn't have been her that died. Mindy says her sister was a devout Mormon until the day she died. My sister has never smoked a cigarette. She doesn't drink alcohol. She doesn't drink coffee or hot drinks. (laughs) She completely lived by the word of wisdom, with the exception of these prescription medications. And it's because they came from a doctor that she felt that it was okay. It is so unacceptable to me that my sister is gone. Like, even though it gets easier to live with, like, it will never be okay that I don't have my sister. Now, Mindy says she lives in fear that she will lose another family member. She believes her father and brother are also addicted to pain medication. And the incredible thing is, even after Maline's death, she says they continue to take them. I'm Kathy Harrop, and I'm the mom. I'm Sherman Harrop. I'm the dad. Stan Harrop. I'm the brother. And that's Duchess, the dog. To set the scene here, there is a picture of the Salt Lake City LDS Temple above the fireplace, a statue of Jesus by the front window, an entire wall of religious books with a stack of scriptures at the foot of Sherman, the dad's chair. And I'm pretty sure Sherman's belt buckle is in the shape of a temple. Sherman, for his part, is quite open about the extreme drugs he started taking after a series of back surgeries. I could take the medicine... And most people would be, be frank and honest, most people would be dead. He'd be sitting in his chair and like, I just took two Oxycontins and an Oxycodone and I'm about to take one of my suckers and that would knock everybody on the floor. Yeah, it would probably kill And that was, that was a normal dose for you. It would knock an elephant down. Me, I would, I, would, I would be basically just feeling good. 
you even said it, you're like, you take one of these, you fly around the room like Superman. <laughs> you, you would take like two or three and four of those at a time. They talk about how their dad would be passed out, loaded on opiates with his scriptures in his hands. But the conversation takes a more serious tone when Mindy talks about all the conversations she had with her dad that he doesn't remember, or how he's driven off the side of the road when he's on pain meds. I asked him if he ever felt like it was a problem. No, not really. I really didn't realize personally what I was really into. I really didn't. I was just doing. I was. I was exactly right. I was doing what the doctor told me to do. I was taking what the doctor told me to do in the amount the doctor told me to do. When in reality, he turned you into a bigger drug addict than most people could ever turn into. They'd be dead by the time that by the time they got to your level. But then my dad just doesn't see that it's dangerous. Even now, he still doesn't see how dangerous it well, is. I, I never knew until until you explained tonight that uh, Moline died from that. We knew. Yeah. We had a really good indication that that was probably the reason. Stan says he started taking opiates after a basketball injury, and he's still struggling to get off of them. Unlike his father, he sees a problem. I worry about myself. I worry about my dad. You can see what happened to Moline in that she's dead. And you're like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to fix it. But yet opiates are so hard to get off of. I remember the day Malene died, Stan told me, I'm never going to use opiates again. I'll never take another pill. And I said, Stan, Malene dying is not going to keep you sober. And he's like, you don't, you don't know. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. And three days later, Stan ate a pill again. You know, not because he wanted to, because he's an addict, you know, and I worry sick about my remaining family members like I could not bear to lose my dad I could not bear to bury another sibling I asked the family if these issues are ever talked about at church it's not something people talk about it's taboo. And, it, and not especially when you're an upstanding member of the LDS church how many times have you seen people in the ward at relief society functions and all sorts of other things cackle like little chickens Talking all the gossip about everybody else in the ward. Who's going to go come forward and say, I have a problem with opiates, when you know that people in the ward are going to start talking about you? And those are human defects. That doesn't have anything to do with the actual LDS church, because that's not the principles of the church. That's the problem with, that's that's a problem with human people within them. Yeah. But the consensus from the family was that it's time to break the silence and start talking about the dangers of prescription drugs. After this conversation, Kathy, the mom, spoke to her local bishop, and he pledged to organize an event on opiate addiction this summer. Stan, the brother, started going to a methadone treatment program. And Mindy helped organize a walk to remember those who have died from drug overdoses. Hundreds of people joined her at the Utah State Capitol. For The Takeaway, I'm Andrea Smartin in Salt Lake City. As we've heard, in Mormon-majority Utah, the church may have been a way for some families to hide their addiction problems caused by prescription drugs. But practicing Mormon Glenn Hansen, director of the Utah Addiction Center, says the church is beginning to step up and take the lead in finding and helping families dealing with prescription drug abuse. The culture here and the population tend to do very well in the area of uh, issues related to substance abuse, such as alcoholism or problems with tobacco or illicit drugs. And then to find this one exception to that rule, and that is with prescription drugs, it gets your attention and you wonder what is different about the, the circumstance. And and I think it has caught the, the culture by surprise that 
that this would turn out to look a little different than the other drug abuse uh, problems. Do you think that this relates to practices of doctors overprescribing? Is it um, excessive enthusiasm on the part of patients to self-medicate? I think there's a little bit of both of those things. I don't know that this area is unique in terms of of the practice of the clinicians. Uh, I think uh, in all parts of the country, those who prescribe uh, probably don't always pay as much attention to, to this issue as they probably should. But I do think it has caught the, the community unawares. They think that because it's legal, it's prescribed, and technically it should be controlled by a professional who knows what he or she is doing, they think that they're watching out for the problem, and so maybe they're not as vigilant as they should be about uh, what it is that they're putting in their own bodies and and how it goes from being uh, medicine and a medication to a drug of abuse that uh, creates problems for them. So perhaps it's the religious discipline in these communities that gives the uh, legal over-the-counter prescription drug a kind of moral green light that uh, uh, maybe accelerates use of the drug that is probably not uncommon in other places but uh, is uh, particularly dangerous here. I think there certainly is some of that. It is a culture that has a great deal of respect for authority and there is a relationship between them and those clinicians, uh, the physicians and and other people who prescribe and the assumption that that they're watching and they're being careful and so maybe you don't have to be as careful and and as uh, vigilant in the way you go about using the drug and and sometimes it may be on the other side as well that the clinician assumes that this is a population that is going to take great care since they are concerned about their health and what they put into their bodies, that they're not going to get careless in what they do. And and that lack of constraint on both sides may add up to the problem. Here's an excerpt from a speech by Elder M. Russell Ballard at uh, an address in October of 2010 Uh, seemingly pretty forthrightly addressing this issue. I want you to listen to this. I'm grateful for doctors who are trained to prescribe proper medications to relieve pain and suffering. Unfortunately, too many in our communities today, including some of our own members, become addicted to and then they abuse prescription medications. How is a statement like that taken by the community, and how would you assess that statement as an indication that the community is really, uh, you know, taking matters into its own hands here? Well, I have actually worked with some of the uh, general authorities of the uh, LDS Church, and we've had very good discussions about this issue and its potential implications. And there has been nothing in the exchange between me and and the general authorities that suggest anything but great concern. Uh, they have taken it very seriously. They have looked at it from its medical perspective as well as from its scientific perspective, and they want to get that message out there and let the membership know that there's a potential for problems here. Don't be lackadaisical. Use these drugs as they're in, intended to be used. Listen to the clinicians. 
uh, and beware that some of these drugs who do have the potential for causing addiction and creating great harm to individuals, to families, and to communities. Glenn Hansen is on the front lines there in Utah. He's director of the Utah Addiction Center and former acting director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse at the National Institute of Health. Glenn, thanks so much. You're very welcome. Our series, Zip Code Decode, How Where You Live Matters to Your Health, continues all this week and could be visiting a zip code near you. Tomorrow, we go to the uninsured in southwest Texas. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.